Thank you. You know, the Lord really is giving us a, a offering. There's a fresh anointing for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I feel is is already being released now. And so I really want to encourage you. It's And it's a little different now than it was in the past, at least for me. But there's a there's revelation flowing from heaven. There really is. And so just kind of get your paradigm off of how it was and just receive from God how He wants to reveal Himself and reveal the, the realm of the Spirit to you now. Because we're really in a, a time where God's beginning to really do that. And so I just want to encourage you to tap into that. Um, it's really good. I mean, I'm telling you it is. All righty, I'm just going to go ahead and start and try to stay focused. Can, can you help me stay focused? Help me, Lord. Who said that? Probably not. Well, you know, the last time we, uh, t- I talked to you about Elijah being under this broom tree. Y'all remember that? And Tony got this really great picture of Elijah laying flat on his face. <laughs> I thought, that's all we need to show is that's that picture. Because lots of times as believers, we f- find ourselves in that place where we're just done. You know what I mean? We're just done. And that's really where he was at. He was just done. He was just at the end, at the end of his rope. And a lot of people get to the end of their rope. Uh, but God wasn't at the end of his rope. And so this is the next thing that happened to him as he laid there wanting to die, asking God to take him, uh, being in despair because he felt like he was a failure. He felt disappointed and he felt like God had not done what he believed God was going to do. And so he was crushed. And it really, we really got, like I said, we really got to see, uh, you know, God strip Elijah and see Elijah the man. And hopefully you were encouraged because we're all human and God doesn't want us to hide ourselves from our humanness when we come to those places. But God doesn't want to leave us there. Uh, he doesn't want to leave us in despair. He doesn't want to leave us disappointed and discouraged and feeling like failures. And so it, I'm going to read in verse 5, 1 Kings 19, verse 5. It says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So there's a lot in that, but I'm not going to really try to say too much other than just like a couple things. One is God was restoring him emotionally and physically, okay? That's really important to the Lord. Your physical, your physical self, you know, it really is. And God wants to touch people physically. And He wants to touch people emotionally. That's why when Jesus preached the gospel, He did miracles, you know, because He wanted to heal people. God's concerned about our physical state. He was concerned about Elijah. And that's why he 
uh, sent the angels to minister to him and give him strength. And so somehow he got up from that place and, and went to this Mount Horeb. Well, it's actually the Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. It's, they don't actually call it Mount Horeb. They call it Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. And actually, I don't, we don't know why he went there because it doesn't tell us that God said go there. Okay? Uh, we don't really know. But somehow that's where God wanted him to be. And God got it into his heart to go to this place called Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. Now, Horeb is a very interesting place in the Bible, actually. Uh, I was, uh, you know, there's a place called Mount Sinai, which is actually Horeb. I mean, it's a little confusion. There's actually a couple places in the Bible where they call the same place different things. It's kind of like driving in Charlotte. Have you ever been driving in certain parts of Charlotte and you're driving down this road and you go through an intersection, you're still on the road, and all of a sudden you're on a different road, but it's really the same road. And it's like, what the heck? Well, that's how that felt to me when I began to look at it. But let me tell you a few little things about where he was going, Mount Horeb, or Horeb, the mountain of the Lord, which really is Mount Sinai. Here's some, this is an amazing open heaven place in the Scripture. In fact, you know, when we think about the Old Testament where there's an open heaven, we always think about Bethel where Jacob laid his head down and saw the Jacob's ladder, and he said, surely this is the... The, the house of God, this, this is the gate of heaven. I didn't know it, and God is here, and I didn't know it. This place is even more greater because here's, here's a few things that happened there. One, this is where Moses encountered the burning bush, and the Lord spoke to him out of the burning bush. Isn't that amazing? It's where the Lord later gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It's where Moses went up on this mountain and saw the Lord. When the Lord hid him in the cleft of the rock and passed by, isn't that amazing? Another thing that happened there was uh, when the first time, the first time when they were out of water, it was at, at Mount Sinai, and Moses struck the rock. Uh, when the you know the Lord told him the first time to strike the rock, we won't talk about when he hit, later when the Lord says speak to the rock and he hit it anyway, and it kind of messed things up. But um, also that was there where the Lord gave Moses instructions for the tabernacle. And the final thing was, this is amazing. One of the most amazing scriptures is God, when they set the elders in, the 70 elders, uh, they went up and met with God, the 70, and had a meal. And the scripture talks about this sapphire floor that they went up to, up on Mount Horeb. It was in the spirit. And there all the elders of Israel met with the Lord there. And saw God, and they ate in His presence. Now that would be one of the most glorious, terrifying, mind-boggling days ever, right? If you went into the... Right? I mean, gosh. That's the dream, is to really have an encounter with the Lord like that. So you can see that where God was taking Elijah, this place was packed with history. This place was packed with God showing up in this place. And somehow God got it into to, to Elijah to go to this place, knowing that God would be there, that he would have this encounter with God. And so he gets there, and it says he, he goes into this, this cave and spends the night. Oh, another little interesting thing was, where Moses was at was in Beersheba. And if he went straight from Beersheba to Mount Sinai, that's an eight-day journey, and if you went straight. And it took him 40 days to get there. 
Isn't that interesting? You know what that tells me, though? It tells me that when God begins to restore us, it's, it's, not, always, it's not a straight line. It's a process that God takes us through. Many times in our life, we, we're looking for this miraculous thing to happen, but God takes us through this long, windy place uh, and works in our life and does things in our life Instead of it just being an eight-day shot, you're there, you're going to meet with God, then we're going to be done. It took him 40 days and 40 nights, it actually says, to get there. And it was because God was doing things in his life. So I really want to encourage people, you know, when we, we're, a lot of times we're praying for healing and breakthrough. Uh, a lot of times that God is, doing, is at work in your heart doing the healing and doing the breakthrough, but it's not a straight, it's not like a miraculous healing, it's more of a therapy healing. Most of y'all probably know in the New Testament, one of the words for healing is therapy. Did y'all know that? Not every healing in the New Testament it was instant. A lot of healings Jesus did, Jesus himself did. When he says he healed them, they weren't fully healed at that moment. But the healing had begun in them. Yeah, that's good. That should help you to encourage you when you're praying for people for healing or receiving prayer for healing. And trust trust Go look it up for yourself. Go get a Greek lexicon and look up all the words in the Gospels for healings. You'll be surprised at how many of Jesus' healings were actually therapy healings versus an instant miraculous healing. Now, he did those too. Did both. We need to be doing both, right? Are y'all okay? Y'all are just sitting there, man. Come on. Y'all can't just sit there. You know, if I'm going to up here and do all this work, you're going to have to help me. Because I'm not getting any of that offering. It ain't like I'm getting all this offering to do this, you know. I might be getting some, you know, as a, you know, getting paid as a pastor, but you know what I'm saying. And so, uh, so he was in this cave, uh, and... It says in verse 9, And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so, one, I just want to point out to you how God spoke to him. is He was personal with him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I think we all know when God asks a question, it's not because God's seeking information. God is trying to help us see, see something. And really what God was doing by asking him the question was helping him to see where he was at. That he wasn't healed, he wasn't restored, and he wasn't seeing life the way it really was meant to see. Because as we well know, uh, he wasn't the only one left. He wasn't the only prophet. Obadiah in chapter 18 told him there's a hundred there's a, I've hid a hundred prophets. I've got a hidden, a hundred prophets hidden away. And so it wasn't like, but, but the state of mind that Elijah was in, he felt like he was the only one. And he felt like that they were trying to kill him and he was just, and, and, but, but, you know, God didn't really see that as a, a negative thing. God was just trying to get him to see that, to see where he was at. So he could really realize that he needed some help because he wasn't seeing life right. And then the Lord said in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I'm going to stop right there uh, and talk to you because uh, I'm going to talk to you. This is the main thing I want to talk to you about is that cave that he was in. Okay? Uh, Because caves uh, really are an important place. It's an important place 
in Elijah's life. And I believe caves are an important place in our lives, okay? Uh, I feel like in my life, I've found myself in, in a cave several times in my spiritual life. And the problem was I didn't really understand what was happening. I was in a cave, but I didn't know I was in a cave. And I was confused about what was happening in my life. Like Elijah was confused about what was going on in his life. Elijah had gone through something. He had done something major, but Elijah in his mind, he he was experiencing nothing but failure and, and backlash. And so there he was, he finds himself in this, in this cave because of what he had gone through. But the cave was a, an opportunity for him. And so this cave really, when I began to really study and look at his life of what happened before his life and what happened after the cave, the cave is pretty, pretty amazing. First of all, let me just say this. You know, when you think about, the reason I told you all that stuff that happened at, at Mount Horeb was to tell you that was a place of glory. That was a pr- place of an open heaven. Yet there Elijah was at that place in a cave. Disappointed, discouraged. And God can be moving in a place, and I think we've all been in times of our life where God was moving, God was doing things, and other people were experiencing God and being blessed, but you didn't feel blessed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody else was experiencing the glory that was in that place, but what you were experiencing was you felt like you were just, you just felt finished in that place. That's a hard place to be. You wonder, and you, you feel like God's abandoned you. You feel like there's something wrong with you. you feel like there's, and you feel like there's something wrong with them. You, start, you begin to find fault with what God's doing because God's not touching you, and you're just struggling through this moment. You know what I'm talking about? So... I wrote down some things uh, about the cave, and you know, and just some of this is like just just really practical things about caves. Um, a few years ago, I had a dream about a cave. This was crazy, you know. I had this dream that I was uh, in this cave, and uh, it was dark in the cave. It was really dark. That was the thing that struck me about this cave. Real dark in there. I mean, just pitch dark. You couldn't see nothing. You didn't really know what was around. It was kind of scary in the dream. I was kind of afraid because I didn't know what else was in that cave with me. So that's the first thing I feel like a, a cave would represent. It's a dark place. And this is what that means spiritually. It means a place of loss of vision. It means a place of loss of vision. You can't see where you're going. You don't really know what's around you. You don't know what's really happening. And so when you begin to lose your vision... You lose your purpose. And when you lose your purpose, you lose your passion. And so that's what happens with people when they get in caves in their life is they they lose their vision because it's dark. And because they've lost their vision, they've lost their purpose. And when you lose your purpose in life, you lose your passion. You lose your passion for the Lord and you lose your passion for lots of things. Yeah. And so that was really what was, that was describing Elijah's life at that point. Elijah had lost his purpose. He had lost his vision. And he had lost his passion. He wanted to die. He wanted to be finished. Really powerful. Our first tendency 
And this is how I felt in that dream was to despise the cave. I despised it. I wanted to have it. I couldn't stand it. And I was fighting against it. I was fighting against the cave. I was, keep, I was trying to keep going my life and trying to keep what I thought God was been doing in my life. I was trying to keep it going in my life. I was fighting to try to... to and that's what I feel like a lot of people do when you start coming into this place of darkness in your life. Is you, you start fighting, you, tr- you try to act like everything's okay, and you try to keep pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. But at some point, you just give up, right? Am, am I talking to anybody? You just give up. I mean, am I the only one that's stupid enough to come to a place, God's doing something in my life, and all of a sudden things have fallen apart, it didn't work out, and I'm trying to keep going, and, and, but I'm living in darkness, and I don't really have any real passion. I'm just outwardly fighting to try to hold on to something that was. And that's what was going on with Elijah in his life. He was trying to hang on to something, but he couldn't hang on to it. The second thing a cave is, is long, it's lonely. That was really powerful in that dream. That's why I felt it, I was afraid in the dream because it, I felt lonely. I felt alone there. And I was alone. And, and this is by God's design. Okay? When, God, when, we're, when we find ourselves at these places... God has designed it that he doesn't really pile us into a cave with a bunch of other disgruntled and messed up Christians. I don't know about you, about your spiritual life, but I was talking to Becky about this, and this is just bothersome. This really bothers me, okay, badly, is I feel like my spiritual life is out of sync with most people around me. In other words, I can be in a time of real blessing in my life, but everybody else around me is going through a hard time. And so the communication that you have with people like that is really hard when you're real blessed and, and other people are not. All the people you're around all the time, they're just struggling. They're going through some trial. They're, their faith's being tested. They've lost their job or they're, something, some calamity has happened in their, in their life and you're listening to all of them and you, you don't really know what to say because your experience is different at that moment. That's hard, but here's what's even harder is to be going through some terrible thing and everybody around you is blessed. I can, I can remember when we were going through all these trials a few years ago in the church, going to these, these meetings with these other people, other men, other believers, pastors and such, and just being devastated. I mean, just devastated. And talking to them, and all I'm just sitting there looking at me like, nobody's saying nothing. Like, am I just messing this room up? You know, am I just, you know. But really what it was is they didn't know what to say. You know, because lots of times we find ourselves in states like that, you know, and wise people just keep their mouth shut because they don't really know what to say to a person that's going through some devastating time. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's sort of the way my Christian life works. I feel like I'm always out of sync. You know, with everybody around me, I'm just out of sync. I'm not flowing what everybody else is flowing with, you know. God, I tell you, this is crazy. There's been times in worship, I felt like I was just in heaven. Didn't you look around, everybody's just sort of sitting there. I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with me? Am I just messed up here because I'm really having a grand experience with God, but everybody else is acting like God's nowhere to be found. Or, and then there's been times where everybody was erupting. I'm thinking... This just don't feel good to me. This kind of feels bad to me. You know? You know, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. 
When he wrestled with the Lord, it says he wrestled at the brook Shabbat. He said it was, it says it was a lonely place. And it says that Jacob left everybody and went across that brook alone. And met with God alone. So there's that thing about the cave where God and you, it's just God and you and nobody can really help you. That you, where God wants to, to encounter you. Another thing about caves is they're confined in places. If you've ever been in a cave, uh, you feel limited in your life. You, you, the freedom that you once had, you no longer have that freedom. And when you lose freedom in your heart, where you feel, you know, this freedom of worship, this freedom of flowing in the anointing, this freedom, just being able to move and enjoy God, all of a sudden you don't have that sense. That's a hard place to be because you, all of a sudden you feel like your life is limited and confined. And that's what caves do. They limit you and confine you because God is trying to get you to face something about yourself. And so if you feel limited this morning, if you feel like God has got you in a tight place, he's like he asked Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? He was trying to get Elijah to see things about himself because Elijah wasn't seeing things right. And that's why God allows that thing to feel limiting to us and feel tight to us because we have nowhere to run to. We have nowhere to hide from. It's like we're just there. God's there. And he's, he's trying to get us to see stuff about ourselves to free us from ourselves and to get healed and not stay, you know, in that state of laying up under that tree in despair and defeated, depressed. You know, that's, that's why caves are limiting. Here's another thing about a cave. A cave is a dead end. It goes nowhere. And that's how you feel about your life. I, I think there's probably people sitting in this room this morning, that's what you feel about your life. You feel like your life's at a dead end. You feel like there's nowhere to go. And uh, that might not be a bad thing um, because your life really has come to a place where God wants to do something different. And so it's symbolic of the season that you were in, the anointing that you carried, and now you're at a dead end with that. And so you had to figure out what are you going to do? Are y'all following this? I hope you are. Here's a good one. Actually, I got out of that cave in that dream. I will tell you about that in a minute. It's so dumb of me, though. You know what about interpreting your own dreams? They're full of fallacy, your interpretations. I can interpret other people's dreams real good, but my own I can't for some reason. And when I do, it's usually wrong. Let me say it like this. A cave is a potential tomb or a potential womb. Jesus was buried in a cave. Okay? You can either die in the cave or you can be transitioned to a whole new level. See, that's what happened to Elijah. Y'all get that? Potential tomb, potential womb. That's what a cave is. Potential tomb, potential womb. It's up to us to decide which one it's going to be. Ministries die in caves. Ministries die in caves. Ministries are born in caves. Businesses die in caves. Your anointing can die in a cave. Or you can have a new anointing in a cave. See, that's what the cave's all about. That's what the cave was all about in Elijah's life. We're going to see in just a second. It was all about the anointing that he carried versus the anointing that God wanted him to carry. And Elijah could have stayed back in that old anointing. But God had something different for him. 
And that's why God frustrated Elijah and allowed Elijah to come to the place where he was discouraged and where he was messed up. Because God had something else for Elijah. That's why it's a potential tomb or a potential wound. Listen to this. Though no one wants to lose their vision, how do you feel about that? And sense of purpose and passion, it seems at some point in every person that I have ever known that they have lost, had a suffered loss of vision, loss of purpose, and loss of passion. Every one of us. Every Christian I have ever known that has really been serious about the Lord, I've seen them walk into a cave. And it's likely going to be more than once in your life. I remember one time about a cave this church went into. Um, some of y'all will remember that cave. It's called Parker Avenue. Anybody remember Parker Avenue? <laughs> Becky and I went by. And, uh, well, we had this building over here on 21 that we were renting, and the landlord informed us one day that we were leaving. Okay, and when landlords tell you they're leaving, and you go and talk to them and try to talk them out of it, and they're like, not listening to you, and he's telling you, like, next week you'll be out of this building, okay? And I can remember uh, being in that church uh, on Sunday morning, that church building, and we had to be out of that building by Tuesday of that week, and we had nowhere for this church to go, okay? That's not a good feeling, is it? It's one thing if it's just your house, you know, you can go live with your mama, you know? (laughs) Right? The only thing we was going to do with the church is go store the stuff. Well, Becky found this building, and she described, I said, well, what is it like? And she said, you know what, Sanford and Son? Remember that? <laughs> this, is, this is no lie. There were weeds in the parking lot this, that building higher than my head. I'm, there were six-foot weeds in that parking lot. Well, the long story short, we was able to rent the building from the guy who owned it. Because it was, there was a church that had been in there, but it had abandoned it. And I remember looking at the building and, and knowing that we were going there against all my wishes and all my desires. I was absolutely adamantly opposed to going to that building. But it seemed like that's where God was saying, well, you're either going to go there or you're going on the street corner. Right? So I remember telling Becky, like, listen, Becky, this is the way this is. We're, we're either going there to bury this church in that old church building or we're going to go there and we're going to experience God like we've never experienced Him. Well, it turns out that old church building was the scene of, back in the Azusa era, of a revival that happened in Morrisville. Yeah. The first Pentecostal revival. This is one of those, if you heard about people where they called the fire department because of the flames, well, this is a place where that literally happened. God had really moved at that place. For years and years, and over the years, different churches went in there, and, you know, the well of, of revival was stopped up. And this is what happened in that, that building. We went there, and it was like the first Sunday service, I'll never forget it, God was there. It was like the Holy Spirit was waiting on river life to come there. And it was an amazing season. We had a revival with young people. I was thinking about, you know, the, teen, the, tomb, the, the cave is a womb or a tomb, okay? Because I was thinking it was going to be a tomb, 
but really it was a womb where God birthed something. One, and I'll just tell you, one of the things that God birthed there, there was this, this young man who came to our church right before we moved there. He, I'll never forget the first Sunday he came. He came in on crutches, and he had a little baby in his arm. He had a broken marriage, and, and, and he had hurt it, broke his foot or something, broke his ankle. Very discouraged, very despondent, but really trying to find God at that point in his life. Well, one night over there in that building, we were doing something, some kind of thing with youth. And I saw that young man get on, get on the stage and do an altar call. And I, I saw God all over him. I mean, all over that boy. And I looked at that boy and I said, that guy's got something from God. He's got something from God. And it turns out, uh, a few weeks later, he said, hey, Byron, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher at Mooresville High School. And they're not going to renew my uh, contract for next year. And I just sort of flippantly said to him, well, Matthew, if they don't want you, we want you. And that was Matthew Bollinger. And that's really how Matthew Bollinger became Matthew Bollinger. That's why Matthew Bullard is in, in Chapel Hill right this day. You see, what was I'm, here's the point. It could have been a tomb for this church, but it was a womb for God to birth other things. And so, yeah. And so, here, so when we get into these places like that, it can be a womb for us for something great. It can be a womb for a greater anointing, a greater move of God. Let me read on. I think that was a great... Becky, the reason I thought about that is Becky and I went by there recently. We, had some, we were visiting some people in the hospital, and we decided to just go by there because it's not far from the hospital. And we went by there, just to, and we stopped in the parking lot and just sat there in the parking lot and remembered what the Lord had done and just really just gave the Lord just glory and honor and, you know, and prayed for that neighborhood that there'd be a, another revival in that neighborhood. And the Lord uh, said to Elijah, where about, okay, so he, then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. That would be good, right? Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, but the Lord caused the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, this is the beautiful thing. I love this. I've always loved this for some reason. Uh, after the fire came a gentle whisper. Isn't that beautiful, the way that says that? Another translation says a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face mm, and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same, same question. And then he said the same old crazy thing. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He didn't change his story. And then the Lord said to him in verse 15, Now listen, this is where things shifted for Elijah. Okay? You see, what that cave was, it was a place for Elijah to come into something new. 
into a new anointing. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. So here's what the Lord was saying. This is a promotion, Elijah. You're going to go from just confronting the enemy to putting kings on the throne. That's what the Lord was saying. You're going to go and then you're going to establish another man now to take your mantle when you're gone and be a prophet in your place, which we know Elisha became a prophet that had double the anointing that Elijah had. Believe it or not, it was, had double that anointing, which is crazy how anointed Elijah was. This man had carried a double portion. So you see with Elijah... What God did is God, that's why I'm saying the tomb is is a place for potential. When you're in that dark place, when you feel defeated, and you feel you want to give up, really it's the place of potential for you. It's the place where God can do something. It's where God really wants to promote you. I feel like most people that I know, that I know intimately enough to know about their ministry, their calling, whatever they're doing in life, is that every one of them have been into this, been into that dark place And out of that dark place was the place where God promoted them into something greater. But most people would just want to quit there. And most people would just want to give up there. And live in despair there. Where God really is saying, no, this is the place where I want to bring you into something. Most of us are like Elijah. We're so busy looking back at what we had, at what God did with us, that we can't see what God wants to do. And that's what God was trying to do is get Elijah to quit looking back on his life, looking back about what God did. And he had something to look back on, right? Calling fire down from heaven. But did you know that Elijah called fire down from heaven a couple more times after this? I mean, it's crazy. He, he actually did that. actually killed a bunch of people doing it. I just, I just love this. They, these soldiers went to him, sent by the king to get him. And they said, oh, man of God, uh, if you're Elijah, and he said, if I'm a man of God, let fire fall down and kill you and all your men. Whoop! <laughs> that happened. And then the king sent another 50 guys. Same thing. Well, the third guy, he aren't stupid. He begged him, please don't. Please don't have mercy on me and my men. We're just doing what we're told. Don't kill us like you did the rest of them. So this guy had a power. He didn't lose his anointing, but he came into something new. And that's what God wants to do for people. He wants to bring us into a new anointing. Because that's what the cave is. It's two anointings. There's two anointings in the cave. There's yesterday's anointing. There's tomorrow's anointing. And what God wants to do is bring people out of the cave into tomorrow's anointing. What the new assignment that God has. Not what he had. Is this making sense? Well, this is exciting. This is really exciting. I think. Another thing we need to do, I think is important, is stop looking for the spectacular. See, Elijah could have missed God because of the spectacular. The earthquake, the rock. I mean, that was spectacular. That was spectacular. 
But God was not. God caused a spectacular. But God wasn't in it. God wants to give us an ability to discern that gentle whisper. Because see, it's something inward. Now, when Elijah came out of this cave, I'll tell you this. He came out with new passion. I'll say this. New vision. Nothing changed. Let me tell you something. Nothing changed. No circumstances changed. Jezebel was still out there. Ahab was still on the throne. Jezebel still wanted to kill him. But Elijah wasn't afraid no more. He wasn't even thinking about Jezebel no more. He didn't even care about Jezebel no more. See, a lot of Christians are waiting for their circumstances to change before they emerge from the cave. Nothing changed. Something changed inside of Elijah. And see, that's where you and I have to make a decision. We're waiting on God to do something, and then we'll come out of our caves into our new assignments, our new anointing. That's not the way it works. Something changed in Elijah, and Elijah stepped out of that cave, and he was a different person. He had vision back. He had passion back. He had purpose back, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't go bring fire down. It was go set kings in place. You've got a more important job to do now. You've got you to put a prophet in your place. You've got to raise up prophets you got to raise up more people like yourself. This is more important than what just you do. It is really good, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It was a womb. It wasn't a tomb for Elijah. But for a lot of people, your, 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 your tomb, your cave's a tomb. You've let it be a tomb. And it should have been a womb. It was really a promotion. Mm, that's hard, though. Well, let me just read this and tell you one more thing. And uh, By the way, in that dream I had about that cave, the Lord spoke to me and told me to get out of that cave. What are you, get out. What are you doing? And I walked out of that cave, and I heard this wind that was frightening come roaring at me. And I thought in the dream, oh, God, I will go, I'm going back in the cave because I was scared. But when that, that wind hit me, it was gentle. It was very gentle. And God began to speak to me in the dream uh, and began to give me this awakening in the dream. And I thought that was going to happen the next day, and it didn't. <laughs> the Lord knows how to trick people, right? I just want to read this one more verse here. And, you know, Lord recommissions Elijah... Gives him new purpose, gives him all that, speaks to him. That's awesome. And then it's, it's like, oh, and by the way, Elijah, just to get things right here, you know, oh, by the way, I, I reserved 7,000, not 100, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, this is what God was saying to Elijah. Elijah, let me just get this, let's get this real straight. This is not about you, Elijah. Okay, I got 7,000 people out here, pal. So don't be thinking all this crazy stuff. This is not about you. Okay? This is not about you. 